from WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. Hi, I'm Bob Pavlovich. On today's show, we discuss holiday cooking with chef and culinary expert Randy Sheremy. Then, we learn about this year's production of Christmas Without Tears with actor radio host Harry Shearer. But first, it's Thursday, and that means it's time to catch up on This Week in Politics with the Times-Picayune and the Advocate's editorial director and columnist, Stephanie Grace. Steph, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, there's no hire that's more important for a mayor than a police chief, and that's especially true when the public's focused on high crime. Mayor Latoya Cantrell swore in and Kirkpatrick, formerly the chief in Oakland last month. Wednesday, Kirkpatrick spoke at a breakfast briefing sponsored by the BGR, and you were there. Stephanie, what was her mm-hmm. main message? Well, she started off basically saying that she was going to focus on three priorities. The first one is um, crime against persons as opposed to property. Not that property crimes aren't important and and not that they won't be pursuing those, but really zeroing in on crimes against people and specifically gun violence. You know, really try to get out who shoots, why they shoot, how to interrupt it. The second focus is getting beyond the federal consent decree that the NOPD has been under for 11 years now. And the idea was to bring the department up to snuff on hundreds and hundreds of measures of civil rights compliance. Mm -hmm. They say they're doing well. The city has wanted to get out of it for quite a while. It's expensive to monitor. Incoming Governor Jeff Landry supports getting out of it because he thinks it's big government. So there's But the judge hasn't okayed it yet. And she said, you know, they think they're really close. They're going to go to the judge early next year, February, March, and just say, look, we think we've complied. We'd like to enter this two-year kind of a scale-down period of self-monitoring as opposed to federal monitoring. Mm -hmm. And the third is recruitment. Of course, we've talked about this a ton. NOPD is down 300 officers since the beginning of the pandemic. It was already down hundreds of officers then really focus on recruitment. Um, You know, they're bringing in more lateral hires. They haven't done that really in the past. Mm -hmm. People who have been working, you know, already officers, they don't have to go through the academy. They can come in at the level where they were working elsewhere, but they don't want to compromise. They don't, they're not just looking for bodies. They are looking for people that, you know, she trusts to put out there in the street with a gun and pass what she kind of called the the dad test. She is a 91-year-old dad, and she said, you know, whoever goes out there is going to be talking to people like her dad. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure we get the right people. To some extent, the police chief needs to be a politician, or at least get involved in political matters, like the incoming governor, Jeff Landry's attitude toward crime in New Orleans. What did she have to say about that? Well, of course, the backdrop is that Landry, you know, Republican attorney general, really ran, you know, talked about crime a lot in a way that some people in New Orleans found offensive, you know, that he basically ran against progressive policies and crime in big cities. Some people thought the some of his ads were racially tinged, maybe. And then he caused a stir when he was elected because he appointed New Orleans Focus Transition Committee that didn't have any officials from the city on it. But, you know, things seem to be going better. He had that press conference with Jason Williams, the DA. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kirkpatrick said she has not met with him. She has met with a number of members of the transition committee. And, you know, she's got some ass. She wants help from the state. Mm-hmm. There is talk of setting up a police district in the French Quarter, a state police district. Jason Williams talked about that, too, having more prosecutorial help from the state. And one thing she said was that she really wants the state police to take over patrolling the interstate in New Orleans. 
Right now, they patrol the interstate and the rest of the state, but NOPD is in charge in New Orleans. She said, I've never seen that. I've worked all over the country. I've never seen an arrangement like that. And it's a problem for us. Mm -hmm. You know, first of all, you have things like shootings in on the interstate. And also when we have something like the super fog, when, you know, you have to shut down the interstate, that's on NOPD. And they just, you know, they don't have the people to do it. One thing that's become a controversy is NOPD's use or their plans to use drones. That's caused concern with privacy advocates. Did she explain her philosophy here? She did. She said, look, I'm a lawyer. I am a citizen. I have a right to privacy. I believe in protecting people's privacy. Uh, We're going to do this very carefully. We're going to take citizen input. She said, you know, drones would be used for things like mapping crime scenes to really help with the investigatory you know, functions that way. Uh, She said they would not be used to, for example, monitor protesters because protesting is protected speech. So that's not what they're looking to do. And I think that was that was some of the fear. Chief Kirkpatrick was the first appointee to undergo a confirmation hearing with city council after the charter amendment giving it that authority. How did she feel about the process? You know, she said it was a good process. She was happy with it and she thought it was appropriate. And that's interesting, I think, because Cantrell didn't really like this, that, you know, there was a feeling and, you know, probably given the tension between the council and the mayor that the council proposed this, uh, you know, as kind of part of its running battle with the mayor's office, kind of a power struggle, that this was a way of the council kind of taking some of the authority from the mayor. Uh, The chief said she thought, you know, this was a way to get a lot of community input. And, you know, while it's not fun to have people throw these hard questions at you, Mm -hmm. It's important. So she said she she supports it. The chief had a lot more to say about things like snakes even um, at this BGR breakfast. And WWNO will actually be rebroadcasting it on December 19th at 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. if you want to hear the whole thing. Stephanie Grace, the editorial director and columnist for the Times-Picayune and The Advocate. Thanks for being here. Thank you. While the holidays are meant to be relaxing and relationship building, there's often tension around cooking for those December events, especially if you're a first-timer or just trying out new dishes. Joining me to give us a little guidance is Chef Randy Sheremy, former executive director and now senior chef instructor at the Chef John Fulce Culinary Institute at Nichols State University in Thibodeau, Louisiana. Chef, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Bob. It's It's a pleasure to be here. We've been through one holiday already, and perhaps there were some glitches. We only get better because of practice. What's some basic... I like how I do it. It's all the time, you know. You got to keep cooking, baby. <laughs> yeah. When I was a kid, I would make stuff. I was about seven years old, and there was one azalea. <laughs> all my mistakes went in there, and my mother never knew why that azalea looked so good. <laughs> <laughs> But Chef, what are some basic uh, bits of advice you can offer to those who are planning something for the holidays? Well, you know, it, it always comes with so much stress, doesn't it? Especially mm-hmm. if, if you're a double-income family. You know, everybody's double-income and everybody's busy. So if you're inviting a, 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 a big crowd or a small crowd, I think you can take a lot of stress off of you, yourself. If the people that you're going to invite over, if you said, look, this is how it's going to go, okay? I'll cook the turkey whether or not you go buy the turkey or if you go have Popeye's do it or whatever. You're done. You're going to do the turkey. Mm-hmm. And you guys take care of the rest of the, and this is what we want. You know, we give them all this, pick one and you bring one over. And like that, we can eat and have a good time and a lot less stress on everybody. Now, did my family do that? 
Never. <laughs> they don't know. Big Daddy knows how to cook that. No, we're not going to. No. You know, they showed up with appetites and friends. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, to me, what it's all about is when you cook or even if you don't, if you, like you say, get it from out, it's just getting everybody together to create those everybody memories. Everybody together and just, uh, you know, having having a few glasses of wine maybe, or maybe not, but just... Just spending time together, get your nose out of your phone or out of your uh, out of your computer, and and spend some time with each other and uh, develop your interpersonal uh, communication skills again. You know, <laughs> so it doesn't have to be the fabled Norman Rockwell dinner or the food uh, and wine spread. No, my grandmother did Norman Rockwell really well. Mm-hmm. It was a, she was an incredible chef. You know, more and more that stuff is going by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of traditions are being lost. I'm just heartbroken that I'll never eat her oyster dressing, you know, for Christmas. Why on earth did I not stay at her side and watch her do that? You know, I did for a lot of for a lot of other dishes. The hardest part was saying, you know, oh woman, don't you dare put anything into that pot without me measuring it first. She didn't like that. She hated that. But uh, but I wanted to write it down, and you know, I mean, this is for the rest of the. You know, you're going to be gone, and we want to be able to eat your food. Don't you? Don't wouldn't you take a lot of gratification in that? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, can we continue, please? That was, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a and that's a good idea. If you've got great cooks in your family, well, they're not going to be there forever, you know. So, and you have some favorite family recipes. Somebody should get with them when they're cooking it and write it all down. But weigh it. Weigh it. That's the best way to do it. Get you a, a, a metric scale and just weigh it by the gram so you know exactly what you're doing. And don't be pig-headed. Share it. Yeah, right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> In fact, you know, give it away mm-hmm. to other family members, you know. I mean, uh, get, make a little a bound booklet or something like that and share your family recipes. Those are going to be, that's a great gift. Where does someone go if they don't have a grandma or a Maranda, or even a Paranda, get ideas and inspiration. Where, where do you think they should go to find recipes? Well, the internet is all over the place. Okay, and and you know, and let's look at it. If you if you look at any of the food channels, you're gonna there's buku of uh, shows about holiday cooking. I think what's important is that you pick a recipe that comes from a reputable site. I, I would call like the Food Network site a reputable site. It's one of the oldest out there. Also, what they do is that they rate their recipes. Uh, so uh, people who cook the recipes rate them mm-hmm. and send them in. And depending on what their rating is, you know, we'll give them a, a, a one to five star rating. If you got 367 people that rated the recipe and it's a five star, hey, it's a good recipe, okay? Mm-hmm. And look at it, I would say, really and try to determine what is the technique. Is it a braise? Is it a stew? Is it a roast? Okay, and then look at some techniques about those cooking methods. You know, the other thing you can do is just go to Rouse's <laughs> or Langenstein's or, or wherever. To uh, Those people put out a lot of fresh food, and they do it well. You know, do they do it like grandmother? No, they don't. Only mm-hmm. grandmother does that. <laughs> but you want less stress and, uh, and a good product. You still put out a good product. We're talking about food in the holidays with senior chef instructor at the John Foles Culinary Institute at Nickel State, Chef Randy Sheremy. Randy, when it comes to getting food from a restaurant or a grocery store, how would you go about choosing the place? Well, a lot of them will advertise. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. If, I know he didn't do it for Thanksgiving, but uh, say Chef Brightson at Franks, you know, you can buy soup by the quart, gumbo by the quart. You can buy 
dressing by the pan, you know, and whatnot. Again, that just takes a call to your favorite restaurant. Are you, are, can we buy Christmas food to go, you mm-hmm. know? Chef, what's the one dish that seems to have been forgotten, in your opinion, but should make a comeback? Daub glace. D-A-U-B-E glace. G-L-A-C-E accent aigu. Okay? Mm-hmm. I think that's a great dish, you know? And that comes from the days of the Revillon de- dinners, you know, and, and, and French Creole cooking in New Orleans, you know, uh, in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Of course, what would happen is that, you know, the, the aristocracy the Creole aristocracy would go to midnight mass. Now, midnight mass starts at midnight. Mm -hmm. Seldom is it less than two or three hours sometime. You know, in the old days, they would fast. Yeah, had to. uh, Yeah, they had to. So you were really hungry. You could look at the Revion dinner as either being a a very late dinner or a very early breakfast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Because it would last until daybreak, for sure. But uh, uh, daub glace was one of those things that was always done. Usually in the old days, it was done from a former dish, which was roast beef. All right. Mm-hmm. They'd uh, go ahead and start off a mirepoix, which is, again, onions, celery and carrot. And just get that cooking in a, in a big pot with some butter. And then they would add that to it with a, a really fortified stock that used a lot of bones that would, that would actually uh, gel when it was cool. Yeah, and so you put it in terrines, it comes out the terrine, you, you unmold it and you slice it. Mm-hmm. You have to make that, that liquid very, very seasoned because when, whenever you cook something and then you cool it, you dummy down the flavor, especially the salt. Mm-hmm. So you really season this well. And then, yeah, you slice it and you can eat it again on a plate with uh, French bread. You can put some of it on hors d'oeuvre crackers and stuff like that, but it has such great flavor. And in the old days, they used to do, they used to make daub glace, but they also, they'd roast a chicken and then they'd have a chicken and oyster gumbo. Mm-hmm. My grandmother always made chicken and oyster gumbo for Christmas, you know, and she was directly French. Okay. We didn't come from Nova Scotia. We came straight from France. Now, you know, they sent over two groups of people from France. First group were derelicts, right? They emptied out the prisons. That was my people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> for someone who has committed to or will commit to making something for a family dinner, and it's their first time, what's your advice? If you're trying to cook everything, please do not cook it all in the same day. I don't do that, and mm-hmm. neither should you. You should leave at, at least be two days out. And if you're doing anything that involves a gravy, do it the day before because the gravy is going to be twice as better than the next day. Or anything with a brown roux like gumbo, Mm -hmm. gumbo you can do three days out. It's going to be twice as good three days later than it was the day that you cooked it. So that day of, all you got to do is throw them in a 300-degree oven for about 40 minutes and they're back to temperature, to to the temperature where they should be, right? Mm -hmm. But that's still a lot of cooking and a lot of stress. I think what's better is to, again, decide on maybe the main dish and, again, get with your folks and, and say, okay, you bring the, the candied yams, you bring the dressing, you bring the string beans, and you congregate, heat it all up, and just have a wonderful time and have a glass of wine. <laughs> the okay. old Justin Wilson, one for the pot, one for you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Justin was a wise man, I got to say. <laughs> Chef Randy Sheremy, former executive director and now senior chef instructor at the John Fulce Culinary Institute at Nichols State University in Thibodeau. Thanks for being here, Randy. Thanks, buddy. Later.
From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Bob Pavlovich. The holidays are usually portrayed in idyllic terms, hearth, home, family, plenty, and so forth. And even when those things and others are available, there can be something or someone missing. Of the many substitutes or cures, if you will allow, is a big house party held in a living room that happens to be on stage at the Orpheum Theater in New Orleans. It's called Christmas Without Tears. And joining us to talk about it is actor, writer, musician, and host of Le Show, heard on public radio, Harry Shearer. Harry, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Before we get started, I believe congratulations are in order. I understand the show archives have just been added to the Library of Congress. How, how does that feel? Well, having labored on that, that thing for uh, four decades in uh, sort of anonymity or lack of uh, notice, it's just almost startling that somebody finally paid attention to the little thing. So it's, uh, it's a, thanks to a fan, a, a professor of rhetoric at Penn State University who uh, became a fan of the show and just became determined that it should be somehow preserved and acknowledged and made available after it leaves the airwaves. I'm very appreciative to her. Rosa Everly is her name. Mm -hmm. Christmas Without Tears, for those who don't know, how did it start? What was the need or the desire? Well, my wife, Judith Owen, is uh, a Brit, a Welsh woman, and uh, for her, Christmas was cold and rain and, you know, uh, all of that. And she moved to California to be with me when I was living in Los Angeles and just felt wrong to be enjoying sunshine and warmth at Christmas time. So she established a little party to kind of replicate the kinds of parties you were talking about. Some of our friends who happened to be in show business as well. A friend who was a great cook, cooking stuff, baking stuff for us. And it, it got around, and uh, we got invited to do it uh, as a public event one year at the Walt Disney Concert Hall in Los Angeles. And that's what started. It was the year of Katrina, mm-hmm. and so we uh, did it as a benefit. And it's been moving to various venues in various cities over the years. When we moved here, of course, we started doing it here. I did it in London for a few years, in New York as well, in Chicago for many years. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we realized this is about the dumbest time of year to tour. <laughs> it is the first snow in a lot of cities. And so they don't remember really how to do snow yet. So mm-hmm. we decided basically to do it in, at home in New Orleans and, and leave it at that. Um, but it's always friends uh, who are musicians or comedians or both or other specialties. We have Trixie Nix this year, who's a wonderful artist of the uh, erotic dance. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a lot of folks doing a lot of different things, but it's always for a good cause this year. It's uh, last year, too, for uh, Innocence Project New Orleans, which does the amazing work of getting improperly convicted people out of uh, prison. Mm-hmm. And we're going to return to that. Everything I've heard about it, I just moved back to New Orleans after 25 years away and haven't mm. had the, the good fortune of seeing Christmas Without Tears. Last year's notices I saw said radiant, racy, silly, a bit naughty. I- explain what goes on. 
Well, it's both reverent and irreverent. It tries to serve the needs of those who both love Christmas and who don't really care about Christmas. There's music, there's comedy. In the second act, the audience is compelled by Mistress Judith to uh, sing some carols and then uh, at the end to perform a uh, the only tolerable version of the uh, 12 Days of Christmas in, in which the audience acts out each of the uh, days in uh, character form. Judith divides up the audience. Uh-huh. So, Big group uh, participation number? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. embar- embarrassingly great. So it's, there's a lot of fun. Uh, then there are, you know, more serious moments. It, uh, it tries to uh, be a family affair with people who you aren't related to. We're speaking with Harry Shearer, uh, who will host, along with Judith Owen, the 18th annual Christmas Without Tears at the Orpheum Theater in New Orleans, December 19th. Judith will be performing. Uh, will folks get to hear selections from Winter Wonderland and come and get it? Oh, sure. Um, not for Come On and Get It. That's, that's uh, her latest album, but uh, definitely Winter Wonderland Christmas mm-hmm. songs. I write a, a Christmas song every year, topical one. This year, I'm, uh, for the first time, doing a repeat of a song I premiered a few years ago because it still happens to be topical, mm-hmm. uh, if not on, in the front of the mind of everybody right now. It's called When Santa Claus Came to Guantanamo Bay. All right. All right. You mentioned Trixie Minx. Mm-hmm. Who, who are some of the other folks that are going to be performing with you? Brian Batt, John Goodman, Zachary Richard, Kermit Ruffins, Sonny Landreth, Tanya Boyd Cannon, Samantha Fish, Helen Gillet, Phil Degree, the aforementioned tricks he makes, Jason Marsalis, Solid Harmony, and Sierra Green. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty large group, and it, it, it does have a you know family feeling because we're all on stage together. You had mentioned the beneficiary this year of the, mm-hmm. uh, the fundraising efforts, Innocence Project New Orleans. How did that association come together? We uh, have a friend, Libra Legrand, and uh, when she joined Ipno, it became something that we wanted to uh, help. Uh, we, in previous years, had been doing it for uh, the uh, Musicians Clinic, and that was a great relationship. Mm-hmm. But uh, we decided to help Ipno for a few years. Harry, what's your fondest memory of the holidays for you? Hmm. I, uh, well, I have to say, my experience of the holidays is colored by the fact that my birthday is December twenty third, <laughs> and so limited gifts. You know, it's it's, uh, it's holidays. You're off, so you don't get to be celebrated by your mates in school. Mm-hmm. And it's just you know, it's in the shadow of Christmas. So, it, and and I should also say the shadow of Hanukkah, because mm-hmm. uh, grew up in a Jewish family. I think I was griping most of the time because I didn't feel like I was getting enough attention on my birthday. What's the one thing you want audiences to know if they've never been to the Christmas Without Tears celebration before? What what should they expect? A huge amount of laughs and fun. It is a, uh, a show that when people come for the first time, they come up to us afterwards and say, I'm, I'm coming back every year. This is great. Harry Shearer, musician, actor writer, host of Le Show here on Public Radio. Thank you for your time and talking with us about Christmas Without Tears. Thank you. 
From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Bob Pavlovich. Thanks to our guests, Stephanie Grace, editorial director and columnist for the Times Picayune The Advocate, Randy Sheremy, senior chef instructor at the John Fulce Culinary Institute at Nickel State University, and actor, humorist, and host of the radio program Le Show, Harry Shearer. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber. Our assistant producer, Aubrey Procell. Our engineer, Garrett Pittman. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from the Greater New Orleans Foundation.